Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have only bad martinis for you today. We just need to tell you that right off the top. But we are brought to you today by ExpressVPN, so that's always nice. And let's start with one that's been a bad martini for a long time now, and that is the state of the debate of when to get kids back in school. Some won't do it at all. Some are on a hybrid. Some are trying to be more aggressive. Some don't even expect to be back in the fall. It's just maddening. And there aren't that many states with elections this year. The one where we live, Virginia, is one of them. There's a gubernatorial race, and every seat in the House of Delegates is up as well, which is important because it's a very narrow Democratic majority. And here's the funny part, but sad for the kids. Uh, This is courtesy of the Free Beacon. The decision by Democratic Virginia Governor Ralph Northam to push for teachers to return to the classroom next month has infuriated teachers' unions putting Democrats running to be his successor in a political bind. Candidates must decide between leaning on science that says it's now safe to open schools or falling in line behind the state's powerful teachers' unions. Thus far, the candidates are falling in line behind the unions. Not a single Democratic candidate for governor, including Northam's predecessor, Terry McAuliffe, has voiced support for the decision to open the schools on March 15th, which has been attacked by the Virginia Education Association, the state's largest teachers' union. Neither McAuliffe nor any of his Democratic primary challengers responded to a Washington Free Beacon request for comment, which is probably not a huge surprise. So for those who don't know, Virginia, you can't run for re-election as governor. You can run again after you've been out of office for four years, so that's why Northam's not going to run again. Not that he probably would have won anyway, but there's a a very wide field here. McAuliffe is probably the front runner, but it's going to get pretty ugly here, I think, as uh, we get closer to the primary. But Jim, this is an opportunity for Republicans to differentiate themselves. I don't know that they still would win statewide. It's getting pretty blue here. But in some of these marginal House of Delegates races, it, it's at least possible. The bad news, of course, is that even when the science is on the side of returning to school, the teachers unions really hold the power when it comes to Democratic politicians. Yeah. And there's just one note I would add to this Washington Free Beacon article uh, when they point out that Northam is pushing for reopening to school. Uh, Greg, I don't know about you. He's not pushing that hard. <laughs> I have noticed any strained muscles over there. He, he has said, yes, he wants to get the kids back into the classroom. Uh, here in this neck of Fairfax County, the plan is for certain grades to go back in early March. Uh, later grades will go back just a little bit before spring break, ironically, for two days a week. Uh, that's, you know, what we're all hoping for. This Friday, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control is supposed to unleash, uh, unleash, uh, unveil their proposals for safely reopening schools. And Biden himself has made very clear that he doesn't, they're not certain that vaccination is necessary for teachers. But he believes you have to completely redo the HVAC system. Anybody who's ever watched any school repairs in most districts will know this doesn't happen quick. If you're lucky, you can get it done during a summer. There is no way you're going to be able to tear out all of the existing HVAC systems of schools and put them back in. So my fear is, is that the March reopening here in this neck of Virginia uh, would, will, would that the teachers unions will point to this CDC report and say, aha, see, sure, we're all vaccinated, and sure, we can't actually have any health issues because of SARS-CoV-2, because we've been pushed to the front of the line for vaccinations. But we still can't go into the school because the HVAC systems aren't okay, and that's our new excuse for not reopening the schools. 
Um, I don't know how the circumstances are in the rest of the state, but, you know, most of the blue parts of Virginia have either not opened their schools at all or are opening them up exceptionally slowly. Most studies all around the world have demonstrated if you do, if you do it properly, you know, you got to distance the kids apart. You got to tell them to wear masks. And yes, we all know kindergartners are going to be tough to get them to wear masks. Maybe you do it half and half. You do half on Mondays and Tuesdays, half on, on Wednesdays and Thursdays, that sort of thing. But it can be done. And all kinds of parents, both rich and poor, have said, look, trying to learn from a screen for five or six hours a day is not doing my child any good. It is good that the Republicans have this, this division and this clear distinction between themselves and the Democrats. Uh, Pete Snyder, who I might say is the frontrunner for Republicans, but maybe it's kind of debatable. But anyway, open our schools is one of our ha- his hashtags. Like this is the centerpiece of his argument. He says five days a week, every week with a teacher in every classroom. We'll see what happens. Clearly, the Democratic candidates looking to be Northam's successor feel no pressure for this. The only factor that I can see this, you know, this, this is probably the preeminent issue, certainly amongst parents in Virginia. And now the question is, does this get resolved one way or the other before November? In other words, if, if, if the teachers unions relent and it's okay to go back to school five days a week, get back to normal in September, terrific. Then, then you know, the, the good news for Democrats is this issue will disappear. If it doesn't, and if, say, in September, we have a good chunk of the population uh, vaccinated, not just the population as a whole, or, you know, not, not just teachers, but all that, you know, generally people are vaccinated, and we're still doing two days a week, then this could be a very live issue come November of, of 2021. And uh, who knows, maybe Republicans will be able to use this in a uh, way that will add to their majorities in state legislature and win them the governorship, lieutenant governorship, and attorney generalship. Uh, I would love to have the majority back in the House. Uh, Jim, if this HVAC thing persists, I mean, talk about moving the goalposts. They're not just like budging them. They're like picking them up, putting them on a cargo ship and taking them across the ocean at this point with with what has to happen for uh, things to safely reopen. Like you said, that's not going to happen till the fall. So like, you know, voters usually have a pretty short memory. So if it's solved over the summer and everything's normal come September, you know, the voters probably won't think about it that much come November. But if, you know, in your own county of Fairfax, the teachers said they don't want to be back in the classroom until all the kids are vaccinated. Or if you got this HVAC thing happening, uh, this is going to be a real live issue. And it's only going to be when the polls really turn, kind of like the riots and the Democrats last summer, that uh, you're going to get some people going, oh, you know, on second thought, maybe that's not such a good thing. But at that point, it might be baked in the cake for the libs. I don't know. Yeah, well-mannered, multi-ethnic suburbanites don't riot, Greg. That's why Democrats don't listen to us. <laughs> they might listen to you on social media if you make enough noise. But, you know, social media has been kind of a, a tricky platform lately, too, because social media and, and big tech, uh, they're, they're clamping down on different accounts. It's not just uh, the president, former president Donald Trump. Uh, I think Devin Nunes got kicked off of Twitter uh, yesterday. I don't even know exactly why. But what can you do? You could deactivate your social media accounts, but uh, that's kind of what they want anyway, at least some of them might. But instead of letting big tech sites try to control your speech or flag different posts with their version of the truth, why not revoke their right to your data? And that's why you can use ExpressVPN to accomplish just that, to protect your online data. Have you ever wondered how free to access social media companies make all their money? Well, one way is by tracking your searches, your video history, and basically everything you click on. And then they sell your valuable data. When you use ExpressVPN, you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace, 
and not easy to sell to advertisers. What's more, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from eavesdroppers on your network. And the ExpressVPN app could not be any easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone and computer, and you are protected. Just remember, if you're not paying for a product or service, you are the product or service. It's <laughs> finally time to say no to censorship and take back your online privacy with the VPN you can trust at expressvpn.com martini. By visiting our link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash martini. expressvpn.com slash martini to protect your data today. All right, Jim, today is day two of the impeachment trial of uh, Donald Trump over the events of January 6th. Yesterday was opening arguments and ultimately a vote on whether the premise for the trial was constitutional. That uh, passed, I believe it was 56 to 44, which is one less Republican opposed to that than uh, voted to dismiss the case. That was Bill Cassidy of Louisiana and Already the Louisiana Republican Party furious at him. But the big story uh, yesterday was the not ready for a primetime performance of the Trump legal team. Bruce Castor and David Schoen were the attorneys. And by most accounts, uh, Castor's getting far worse reviews than Schoen. By his own admission, Castor got up first when that wasn't the original plan. Uh, he said that the strength of the uh, House manager's opening statement, uh, complete with a 13-minute video of uh, the rioting that day and so forth, was was compelling. So he got up first. And then, uh, according to most senators, and I think a lot of people who watched, didn't really make a point. Uh, here's Cassidy, you know, the guy who decided uh, to go forward with the trial. He said the House managers were focused. They were organized. They relied upon both precedent, the Constitution, and legal scholars. They made a compelling argument. President Trump's team were disorganized. They did everything they could but to talk about the question at hand. And when they talked about it, they kind of glided over, almost as if they were embarrassed of their arguments. John Cornyn, not one of the finest I've seen, referring to the presentation. The first lawyer just rambled on and on and on and didn't really address the constitutional argument. Finally, the second lawyer got around to it. Lisa Murkowski, I was really stunned by the first attorney who presented for the former president, couldn't figure out where he was going. He spent 45 minutes going somewhere. Mr. Schoen did a better job, but I think they sure had a missed opportunity with their first attorney. So far, there's six Republicans uh, suggesting that they're at least considering voting for conviction, which is still nowhere near uh, the votes that they need. And so, Jim, this isn't a normal case. It's not a normal courtroom. It's not a normal jury. The jury is already highly prejudiced. Uh, none of them would probably be impaneled in a normal court case like this. Uh, so ultimately, it, it certainly seems that uh, the foregone conclusion remains the foregone conclusion. But you do have to be amazed at uh, what seemed to be borderline incompetent counsel, particularly on the part of Mr. Castor. So uh, what did you make of it? And does it ultimately change anything? Yeah. So the first thought is, if you ever watch like a debate performance and, and you see you're seeing somebody do a terrible job. And then you go online, and in part because of partisan instincts and everybody's desire to cheer for their guy, you see people insisting, "No, that guy did a terrific job." Don't don't believe. You know, who are you going to believe? Me or your lying eyes? Right? You you've watched it, and and you're just thoroughly underwhelmed by what somebody did. And yet there are people who are arguably trying to gaslight you, saying, "No, no, this is terrific." Greg, the silver lining is that nobody, as far as I can tell, is trying to gaslight us into believing that Bruce Castor did a great job. Not even, not even Trump supporters were impressed by that. Apparently the president was 
furious about it. Bruce Caster is probably best described. One, I got a strong vibe of Phil Hartman's Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. I'm just a caveman. Your ways confuse me. But I do know that this is not constitutional. Um, it was as if he was trying to do this Matlock folksy, uh, you know, I'm just like you relation to uh, the senators that were there. It was long. It was meandering. It was kind of hard to follow what point he was trying to make. I, I you know, it didn't show at least showed up and, and pounded the table and he was fired up and he was angry and all that stuff. It was exactly the kind of, of defense that I'm sure the president himself wanted to see from his man. Again, I don't know if there's anybody who's persuadable amongst these senators. Um, it looks like Cassidy has changed a little bit. I think it's safe to assume that if 44 Republican senators have voted no, um, this, that this is not a constitutional impeachment process, I don't think they're going to vote to convict. <laughs> Well, this is totally unconstitutional, but yeah, I think he, he did what he did, and we should, you know, kept him guilty. It's not very likely to shake out that way. So the interesting thing is that the, the House managers have, on one hand, the easy job. Yesterday, they just had to argue, yes, this can be done under the Constitution, and two, they show that opening video, which shows how terrible what happened on January 6th was, and basically say, look, aren't you really mad at the president for his role in uh, setting the stage for all of these things to happen? Trump's lawyers have the harder uh, part in terms of actually you know, getting people to believe that it either is unconstitutional or that Trump has no responsibility for what happened on that day. But you look at his thing. In the end, there are 40 some Republican senators who are going to vote not to convict, barring some, you know, lightning bolt out of the blue that changes their mind. And so on the one hand, as bad as it was for Bruce Castor, uh, I don't think this is really going to have any long term effect uh, other than maybe, you know, uh, Trump furiously typing into his phone, hoping that Twitter would, you know, uh, that the Twitter ban would somehow magically be undone. You know, it's hard to change counsel mid-trial. And obviously there were a number of people that chose not to represent the president in this case. If he did want to make a change, though, Jim, Cat Lawyer. Yes, Cat Lawyer took the Internet by storm yesterday. If you haven't seen it, you really need to. It's hilarious. A judge and uh, two attorneys doing a virtual hearing and one of the attorneys apparently had a kid on the computer before him who put on a cat filter and he didn't know how to take it off. So it looked like a cat was arguing one side of the case. Can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the... it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. That's not, I'm not a cat. So, Jim, good to know that cat lawyer is still an option here, I guess. <laughs> I mean, Cat, he's pretty good. The only the only fear there is if he ends up being driven to the Senate by Tunes. <laughs> so if you can't get unfrozen caveman lawyer, Cat Lawyer is, is the way to go. But we don't know if Cat Lawyer won his case. Uh, we just know mm. that he, <laughs> he at least showed up for the hearing. The government is actually planning to use the riots at the Capitol as an excuse to increase its spying on Americans. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I walk through the recent history of the government using events like this to seize power and trample your rights, all while insisting they are protecting us. We'll also have Gordon Chang with us to discuss the emerging China threat from big tech to regional aggression. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jim, let's move now to our final bad martini. And the Anthem Wars are back again, uh, once again with the NBA. Of course, this has been going on for years now. Once Colin Kaepernick got benched with the 49ers, I think 2017. 
uh, was when he started uh, at first sitting and then kneeling. And then that whole season became a, a referendum on that, kind of faded away. And then with uh, the death of George Floyd, it came back uh, in a very vigorous way. The NBA essentially dedicated its season in the bubble to Black Lives Matter and so forth. So now the new season's underway. They're not in the bubble. They're in their arenas, limited fans, if there are fans at all in some of these places. Uh, and the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban have taken the anthem debate to a new level. NBC News. The Dallas Mavericks have stopped playing the national anthem before home games at the direction of owner Mark Cuban. The anthem has not been played at any of the 13 preseason and regular season games played so far at American Airlines Center. The Athletic was the first to notice the change during Monday's game, the first played with some fans in attendance. Cuban confirmed to The Athletic and ESPN that he had altered the pregame ritual, but declined to explain further. The NBA's rules require players to stand during the anthem. Uh, However, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver has not enforced that rule in recent years as players chose to kneel during the anthem in protests of police brutality and social injustice. NBA spokesman Tim Frank saying, Under the unique circumstances of this season, teams are permitted to run their pregame operations as they see fit. So a nice cop-out from the NBA. So, Jim, I fear this is where we may be headed here. Uh, teams and maybe leagues just deciding the controversy is not worth it, and so they're not going to do the anthem at all, which, of course, leads to an even deeper controversy. Uh, how do we not honor America before our games like this? And so, uh, infuriating. It never needed to get this far. I certainly love the anthem before the games and done in a respectful way. Uh, what do you make of this? Because it just seems like we peeled off a whole new layer of divisiveness here. So, so the, the, one of the great ironies is that back in say the early 2000s, there was one NBA player who refused to stand, and the it was like a, it was a two day story. It was not a major controversy. Only only Kaepernick later, about 10, 15 years down the road, did this turn into a huge job. I think the Dallas Mavericks are totally wrong to do this, and they're do, make, they're making this decision because Mark Cuban wants it this way. If Mark Cuban said, "No, we're doing the national anthem, and I expect all of my players to stand." And if you don't wish to stand, you want to stay in the locker room, you're free to do that. But, you know, there's no no kneeling, no disrespectful behavior. You know, you're to see you're gonna, if you're going to be there, you're going to be doing your respond properly. Um, then, you know, he, be, he is the owner. He can set that policy themselves. I don't think this is going to you know play all that well in Dallas. I don't. Texas does not strike me as the kind of state where people are just going to shrug this off and have no big deal. I will say it interesting that we are 13 games into the season or season and, and preseason together before anybody noticed, which is kind of an oddity. I think part of this is, are they allowing ga- fans at games in Texas yet? Apparently they said it's the first one the other night that uh, that folks were allowed in the stands. So I guess they're easing into it, but uh, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing on a pretty limited basis. I mean, it's almost that, you know, tree falling in the forest sort of thing. Like until people were there to notice they weren't playing it, if your only way to access it all is through the telecast, then, you know, that's generally not shown as part of the telecast. Occasionally, I've seen it once in a while with the NFL games, and when players were kneeling, it was a bigger deal. But by and large, you have the two guys talking in the booth. They cut down to the field. It's the opening kickoff or the opening tip-off on the court, and the game gets started, and it's not part of the telecast. Uh, again, I think this will there'll be considerable backlash to this on uh, Cuban, and he just the other intriguing thing about this is that Cuban, between his reality show and periodically saying he's going to run for president, and he was the president, one of the Sharknado movies, and all that stuff. Cuban seems like the kind of guy who is convinced he has come up with some brilliant solution to this, 
And I do not think that this is actually a brilliant solution to this. I think a lot of people will be very bothered by it. It's really remarkable it has something that was completely uncontroversial for decades and decades and decades suddenly became controversial because some folks generally on the extreme left decided they wanted to make it controversial. Uh, nobody had a problem with the, sta- the standing for that. And then, you know, but I didn't see anybody objecting to when we added God bless America after nine 11, you know, I, I, you can, you can uh, gild the lily. You can do too much of this, but by and large, this controversy had started to die down. We've got a pandemic going on. We've got bigger things to worry about. And now, you know, the, 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 the glowing embers, the controversy were just there. And Mark Cuban has to go and dump some gasoline on the whole thing and see what happens. Jim, I don't know if you're a Shark Tank fan. Our family's pretty much addicted. Even our kids like it. They don't necessarily follow the conversation perfectly well, but they have their favorite sharks. I think our eight-year-old's favorite one is Barbara, and our six-year-old likes Lori. Um, Cuban, of course, is one of the sharks on Shark Tank. So if you're a Mavericks fan and this has turned you off, you could send in a nice letter to Cuban uh, and saying, well, because you won't play the anthem, because you're disrespecting the flag, uh, for those reasons, I'm out. I'm very disappointed because my understanding was that if they don't like your pitch for your product, don't they drop you into an actual shark tank? (laughs) That would be far more dramatic. Yes. That would be much better than just sulking out the door like some of them do. But uh, yeah, that would would add a whole new level of drama. Maybe even sharks with freaking lasers on their heads. (laughs) It's Mark Burnett. Great. More more exciting show. It's Mark Burnett, man. Don't give him any extra ideas because otherwise you better have your numbers uh, when you go into the shark (laughs) tank or you're really going to be in trouble. Ah, Jim, let's hope for at least one good martini tomorrow, maybe? It's February, and already our standards have lowered that, that <laughs> have gotten that low. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our friends over at ExpressVPN. Get that extra three months of uh, VPN free. And also, don't forget to subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We are very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Uh, You can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and we'll be back with you on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.